The objective, to deliver the NBA to you like no other. News, play breakdowns, power rankings, storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else. It's all straight shots here. Fired by straight shooters. S and gun. This is the Objective Basketball Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast. No Lauren. Um, we'll be back. I promise you on Friday we will be back and ready and rocking and rolling, especially after the NBA draft. It is going to be hectic. We're, we're going to have our Bleacher Report um, you know, podcast as well, the, the show that will be live on there. You can tune into the Objective Basketball Podcast and listen to that as well. But ladies and gentlemen, get in the game and make your next bet with Sports Interaction. Bet before the game or live and play on all your favorite teams' matchups. Head to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN or download the app to get started. 19 plus, please play responsibly. Now, since we last spoke, there are a couple of things. A, a little bit of housekeeping, if you will. Uh, and I know most of you are probably tuning in to go and listen to the Andre Miller interview. We will get to that in just a second. But I want to talk about you know something major that happened in the NBA in the Bradley Beal deal. Bradley Beal was traded to the Phoenix Suns in a so far two-team trade uh, between the Washington Wizards and Phoenix Suns. Beal had his no-trade clause, so he essentially had full discretion to choose where and how he was getting traded, and that's exactly what went down with the Phoenix Suns. He ended up... It's crazy because he is now in a place with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, a, a, a supposed you know big three, uh, super team, whatever you might call it, but that's the team. The Phoenix Suns, outside of them plus DeAndre Ayton, they don't have much else on the roster. And they will be busy this summer trying to figure out what else they can do to be able to fill out the rest of the roster. I think that's the biggest challenge that comes with trading for a guy who you have to pay $60 million over the next four years. $60 million every year for the next four years, by the way. We'll start from the Suns' perspective because I, I want to talk about the Wizards a little bit later. But the, the Suns, you can look at this from two sides. You can say, okay, well, even before this trade, they were in a really, really tough spot financially. They had Chris Paul's contract, which was an expiring contract, $30 million. They had DeAndre Ayton. There was not, there aren't that many ways that they could maneuver especially with the new CBA coming up and the second second apron and all that stuff, it would have been tough for them to improve their roster in any type of tangible way, even if it meant trading Chris Paul, even if it meant waiving Chris Paul and signing another you know non-taxpayer mid-level exception type of player. That wouldn't have tangibly improved their team. So from an asset management perspective, getting Bradley Beal, who is you know at his best when he's in all-star form, when he's fully healthy, a top 20, 25 player in the NBA, acquiring that for, you know, a 38-year-old Chris Paul, that's a huge win for the front office. I mean, yes, from an asset management, I hate saying that word, but from an asset management perspective, incredible deal. They did the right thing. They they had, that is the best upside trade they could have possibly gotten for Chris Paul, and they did that. They did that. From an on-court perspective, yeah, there's going to be tons of questions. I mentioned the depth issue that they have. They have to fill out the rest of their roster, and they don't have that much space money-wise to fill out the rest of their roster. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they do in free agency. Uh, but I think it, it will be interesting to see how Beal, Booker, and Durant work on the court. Booker presumably will be the 
point guard or playmaker lead ball handler in that you know trio I think he has developed so much as that point guard as we've seen throughout the last couple of seasons and especially in the playoffs where he looked incredible against Denver I I wonder though you know Beal and Durant and even Booker at times they sort of operate in similar spots of the floor how they are able to work together obviously Frank Vogel new head coach incorporating all of those things um, seems like it will be a tough task. And you don't know what's going to happen with Aiton yet. Maybe they decide to trade him, maybe they don't. But let's say they do run it back with this team. Aiton, Booker, Durant, Beal, and whoever, um, that's a lot of talent. That's a lot of offensive firepower. But you're also, you have a lot of questions at the point of attack defensively. How are you going to be able to get stops against teams? And I think that's really important when you're looking ahead to the playoffs and you have to face hey, Nikola Jokic's Denver Nuggets or Steph Curry and the Warriors, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's the problems you come into from an on-court perspective. Asset management-wise, trade-wise, they really couldn't have done any better than this. A a home run win. When you can acquire that much talent, you do it every single time. But from a on-court perspective, I need to see how the rest of the roster fills out before I say my full opinion. Right now, I'm not that high on it, and I'm more skeptical about the on-court fit than I am, you know, from a asset management perspective. For the Washington Wizards, they ripped the Band-Aid off, ladies and gentlemen. It is done. They have stopped toiling in mediocrity. You know, they've been doing it for the last 20 years, and they've decided no longer we are going to stink. We are going to be bad next year, and we might be bad the year after that. And the year after that, we are going to be bad for a very, very long time because what we want to do is rebuild, start this thing anew, no Bradley Beal. You know, we'll see what happens with Kyle Kuzma and Kristaps Porzingis, who are potentially uh, unrestricted free agents this summer. I imagine they move into a deep rebuild. What that means, what that pertains to, I'm not sure. Adrian Wojnarowski reported that they're looking to take on bad salary for draft picks. So obviously they're, re- they're trying to recoup as many picks as possible. And, you know, similar to OKC, similar to New Orleans, similar to, you know, other teams that have built through a rebuild. Um, they are in asset accumulation mode. Get, give us whatever we can to have this treasure chest, really, of just assets that we can use later down the road, whether it be for a star, you know, another player, et cetera, et cetera. For, from the Wizards' perspective, you get Chris Paul's expiring salary. That's done. He probably gets traded somewhere else. I imagine he's probably a Clipper, which is funny, given the fact that he was a Clipper earlier on in his career. Um, but I, I, I think this is a win for the Wizards. Getting off of Bradley Beal's contract, getting off of the no-trade clause and not having to pay a guy $200 million over the next four years, that's a win, a, a huge win for them. The details of the trade still aren't done, so whether they have incorporated Jordan Goodwin, who's a good two-way player for them, or Isaiah Todd, we'll see what happens there. And we'll probably get into the details on Friday when that thing actually becomes official. But so far... I probably like it for Washington and Phoenix. I just am questioning the on-court feel and look for the Suns. I think there are worlds, there are, there are multiple universes where this is a smashing success, as British folks would say. Um, but I still have questions, and I think those questions are fair. How are you going to look defensively? How does the depth look? Who ends up being the ball handler? How can those three guys occupy same spots of the floor? But those are things that you can work through in a in a in a eighty two game regular season. So that's the Beal trade. Um, uh, some other news that has came out is that Gary Trent Jr. is opting into his uh, the final year of his contract. It's worth about eighteen point five million dollars. 
Uh, it also Chris Haynes reported that that he's looking to extend with Toronto and they're looking to work on a long term deal. I'll say that <clears throat> just from the Raptors' perspective, there are a couple of implications to this because now Gary Trent Jr. is technically back on the roster. He will be back for next season. He can either be traded this summer if they decide that they can't find you know some kind of extension that's worthy, um, or he can be extended, and the cap hit for next season is only that $18.5 million. So it's not the extension money. It's not, you know, if they were to pay him $20 million or $21 million or $22 million uh, in his extension per year, it only is the $18.5 million that hits them next season. So from a cap flexibility standpoint, this is a win for the Raptors because now you know how you have to manage your books with Fred VanVleet being an unrestricted free agent, with Jakob Pertl being an unrestricted free agent. What number, what dollar value you are able to give both of those guys so that you are under the tax? And most likely, because of what we know Fred VanVleet is going to get in the open market and Jakob Pertl, they probably won't be able to duck under the tax, which means that there's a trade coming. Uh, I, I imagine, I've said it before, but I really don't think that this Raptors team will, the, the front office and ownership isn't going to be willing to go into the tax. Under Masai Ujiri, the Raptors have gone over the tax one time, uh, and it was the championship season. That's it. That's the one time they've gone over the tax. They haven't done it before for any other team, not the Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan days, not any of the Pascal days, none of that. So I really doubt they do it again, um, especially for a team that's not supposed to be a championship contender. So I imagine there's a trade that's coming. How big or small that trade is, who knows? Honestly, we don't know. We don't know. Yes, maybe in two days, by the time you know the NBA draft comes out, Pascal Siakam is traded, and now you have that you know flexibility, if you will, to re-sign those guys. Maybe retool your roster. Whoever is coming in from the Pascal trade, you can incorporate them. And hey, maybe you're under the tax that way. Maybe it's something smaller. Maybe it's you know Chris Boucher or Otto Porter Jr. or Thad Young who has a guaranteed date in about a week. Maybe it's maneuvering those type of things. So. This Gary news is great news for the Raptors. And I also think it's great news for Gary, who his skill set will work well with their new coach, Darko Ryakovich. He works well in tandem with guys like Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam. And I think you're banking on a, a fairly young player who's 22, 23 years old to develop those tertiary skills, the off the bounce stuff, the, you know, becoming even more potent of a three point shooter. Um, maybe becoming more reliable and consistent as a defender. So I think you're banking on some sort of development, him improving. I, I don't know what exactly like where he's at percentage wise of what his max ceiling is. Maybe, maybe he's already at like 80% there and he has 20% of untapped potential. Maybe some people believe there's, there's less potential there. I'm not sure exactly where you guys sit, uh, sit on Gary Trent, but regardless, it's good news for the Raptors. And I think it's good news for Gary Trent Jr. as well because, hey, he now has guaranteed money. He can sign on with Toronto long-term if he likes it here and if he wants to stay. Or, you know, they can work towards moving him somewhere else that might want to extend him. Uh, so that's the Raptors news. That's the Suns Beal news. I know a lot of you guys were looking for me and Lauren to do a mock draft, some kind of draft content before the NBA draft. Unfortunately, we won't be able to do that. We will have you on Friday, though, recapping. Everything that happens on, on draft night, we will recap it for you guys. I am trying to get a couple of really cool guests to come on on Friday to talk on the podcast. That should be great. Obviously, we have the Bleacher Report show that you can tap into as well. You can follow us on social media to, to be aware of that. 
But this right now I want to throw to uh, it was a privilege for me to interview a player that I watched growing up. You know, uh, a, a guy that I try to mold my game around when I was playing on the courts. Uh, he just had such an incredible feel for the game. He's one of the most underrated point guards of a generation that I grew up watching when I was a kid. Um, this is Andre Miller, Denver Nuggets legend, Philadelphia 76ers legend, Portland Trailblazers legend, NBA legend, if you will, uh, Andre Miller. So please enjoy this interview. And uh, yes, thank you for tuning into the Objective Basketball Podcast as always. We will see you guys after the draft. All right, we are joined by genuinely one of my favorite players ever. All time, one of my favorite players ever. Uh, this is a man who has played 17 years of professional basketball, all in the NBA. Uh, one of the Ironmen, legends, Ironmen. Uh, played for multiple franchises, but uh, he is most known for being one of the most resilient and most profound guards of his generation. Genuinely one of the best point guards when it came to a generation that had a, a ton of great talent. Um, Mr. Andre Miller. Andre, how you doing, man? Hi, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I, I, I wanted to ask you, I guess I'll start off with this because, you know, you spent some time playing with the Denver Nuggets. Uh, you know, you, you had a few years, two different stints actually with the Nuggets, and now you're, you're part of the coaching staff and part of the organization. How did it feel for you to see Denver get to that point, knowing you've been a part of some special teams yourself? Man, it was it was an exciting time for the Nuggets. Um, you know, I mean, it was a you know some great teams that I played on, a very competitive uh, conference when I played, and yeah. you know, just to see how the organization is stuck with you know the motto of putting a good product out there to compete, right? And not just for the playoffs, but you know, deeper into the playoffs, into a championship run, and you know, uh, the bubble was a, a great sign for what led up to right now. And I'm just happy for the franchise. You know, I still have friends in Denver, Colorado. And of course, management has changed, but the ownership is still there and they're still committed to winning. And, you know, the last three or four years for the for the franchise, for the ownership has is, is been very good. You know, you win yeah. football, then you do hockey and now basketball. So it's, it's an exciting time, you know, and congratulations to the ownership for the Denver Nuggets. I'm assuming you watched the games. I'm assuming you you caught up and and checked out some of the finals and playoff games. Yeah, I caught like about five or six games. You know, just going back and forth to Denver, just to you know embrace the environment. You know, of course, I was able to play some playoff series in that arena, and you know, but, but never was able to get out to the second round. You yeah. know, and I was on some really good teams, but you know, um, just to see the environment, to see the the, the vibe around the city and, and see how the team was playing well. And, you know, they just put on a, put on a nice run, you know, and, and capped it off with a, with a championship. So, you know, much props to the organization. You, you, uh, you sort of mentioned that, you, you know, you've been a part of some really, really special teams and, and Hey, regardless of, of making it out of the first round with those nuggets teams, uh, I mean, you guys had some, some crazy competition, especially in your second stint in Denver, where you guys faced the Warriors, you know, you had that that classic game winner that everybody remembers. Um, I guess that was sort of the beginning of this run for a lot of people 
because the, the the semblances of the team was there, right? You have certain things that started back then that are seeing fruition now. I mean, it was it was ten years ago, twenty thirteen to the date almost that that this that playoff run that you guys had with the against the Warriors happened. So, uh, for your for your own sake, like, do you see this transition? Do you see Denver becoming more of a basketball city? Is this a thing? Because I know it's always Bronco Nation. But yeah. do you see do you see Denver becoming a more popular basketball place? I do just because, you know, um, the organization um, management has found a formula, mm-hmm. a formula what it takes to to put a team together, you know, with the scouting department and how they how they recruit players, how they mix the the younger guys with, with veterans who who I believe. You know, you always have to have a couple veterans on the team that are high character. And, you know, I think the formula is there. And it's, it's, it's just all about building and and being ahead of the game as far as, you know, staying on top of how the uh, the league is transitioning and adjusting. But you just got to, you know, have good good staff and people to put something together and and be ahead of the game. So I think the, the Nuggets do have a formula and – Hopefully it continues to flow like that. Uh, I mentioned earlier that you're a 17 year vet. So you've, you've, you've seen the growth of the game. You know, you started in 1999, uh, finished off your career in 2016, lots of basketball, right? And you've seen the game grow in that time. And now you're, you're, you're seeing it as a coach. I guess I wanted to ask you because you've obviously watched how much does it amaze you that there is a big guy like Jokic doing what he's doing, making the plays, being the playmaker for a team? You know what? I mean, what this what that guy has done has been probably one of the most historic things that a player can do in this league. You know, coming from where he comes from, the transition to the American game. Yeah. Um, his work ethic, um, his competitiveness. And, you know, it's kind of like a breath of fresh air because you, you see players come to the league and, and they take the game for granted. You know, I, I know all the players, you know, are, are fully committed, but it's just some players that just, you know, stick out in my mind as far as, you know, they want to maximize their time while they're in the NBA. And, and Joker has, has showed that. He showed it with his work ethic. Um, he's a leader. He leads by example and everybody follows. So, you know, it, it, it lets, it, it's a good feeling for an ex player to see that you have guys that have that type of work ethic that not just want to be in the NBA. They want to be great. Right. They want to be great. So when you have a guy like that, that leads by example, it makes the coaches staff and everybody else's job a lot easier. I am very, very interested to see what you think of, of Jokic, uh, just by the way he creates advantages on the court. You know, he's he's not necessarily the quickest player. He's not the fastest player. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, some people may say that even though you guys play different positions, there's a similarity to the way you guys created advantages despite not having the quickest or, or burstiest of steps. How, how do you, I guess in general, how is it, do you think from your perspective, Jokic, yourself, whoever you've seen throughout your career to carve up defenders and create advantages, you know, by still playing the pace that you'd like to play. I mean, our, our games are very similar, just in different positions. Yeah. He's a center and I was a point guard and 
one thing that I do like about, you know, him as a basketball player, again, is just making everybody around him better. And and when you hear, like, I used to be offended when people say, you know what, he's not fast, he's not athletic. I know you could get up there, though. You you know, I, I would be offended, you know, and I, and I could tell you, like, you know, you know, over half the time, I felt like I was more athletic than half the point guards that I played against. You know, yeah, it, it was just something that stuck with you. But, you know, I got a chance to watch this big fella move around and he moves well. Yeah. He, moves, he moves very well. He moves. He he's He's more athletic than you think. He's faster than you think. He's stronger than you think. So, you know, it's, it's just with the eyes, you're, you're looking at a TV and you like you see this big this big guy who, you know, you used to seeing a guy that big be a stiff, a guy that can't move around. But, you know, he moves just as good or probably better than any other big in the league. And yeah. and it's just a perception. And it's something for everybody to talk about. He is yeah. definitely, you know, he, if he needs to get up there and dunk on somebody, he will. But, you know, if he needs to go out there and score 40, 50 points, he will, but that's just not his mentality. He plays the game simple, and the, the attractive thing that makes it unique is that he's a center. So, you know that 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 makes it that makes it fun to watch. It, it's funny because what you just described, in a lot of ways, does remind me of what your game is. You know, uh, like like you mentioned, uh, you know, some people may not think it's the fastest, the quickest, but you were able to get fast and quick and make great decisions be a guy who can read the floor really really well a guy that a lot of players wanted to play with and i think Jokic has has similar skill set in that you're currently 12th all time in in nba history and assists Jokic, i'm sure is on his way up there but what what allowed you in your career to be such a profound playmaker what was the thing that you worked on maybe when you were a kid or when you were at the parks like what what was the thing that helped you become such a prolific playmaker i mean number one you you for me it was being a student of the game and watching the 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 players who came before me the discipline the hard work and 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 those guys being students of the game and you can't lose sight of that because that that's what drives the nba right and to see guys that take that for granted you know number one you know, and I tell a lot of kids this, this game is a team game. It's five guys on the court, and then you have the bench guys and you have a coaching staff. So you have to be disciplined and you have to be unselfish. And a lot of people feel, a lot of players feel that, oh, well, if I go get my 20, 25 points, 10 rebounds or whatever, you know what I'm saying, uh, I'm going to be a superstar. And it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. And in this league, you know, what the players have to understand players that want to have longevity is there's only be a, there's only going to be a couple stars on every team and everybody else has to fulfill a role, you know? So when you want to try to go into a gym and start training and going into what you call your bag and trying to add all this stuff to the game, you're not going to be allowed to do that on the basketball court because that's for the stars. Everybody right. else has to fulfill a role. And I don't want players to lose sight of that. You know, it's it's just the business of the game. But this is a team sport. And being a student of the game and being unselfish and, and the, the the etiquette is, hey, you have a good attitude and you, and you never know who you might cross or who might want to help you out. And maybe you might not be as talented, but maybe a coach wants you on the team because 
you bring good vibes and good energy to the locker room. Right. And that, that could get you four or five years in the NBA right there. <laughs> play your cards right. So, you know, that, that's how I see it in a nutshell. Yeah. I, and I, I think it's, it's interesting. You know, you mentioned uh, sort of learning the game, teaching the game, understanding what came before you. And I think it's very interesting because you've had such a lengthy career as a professional that you've also seen the evolution of the point guard, right? You've seen how much it's changed throughout your time and even after your time. Um, you know, looking at guys like a Jamal Murray, who, who we just talked about with the Nuggets or Steph Curry, all those guys out there. Um, what do you think is, is the massive difference between, you know, the guys that you may have played against in 1999 and the Marburys and the kids and what, those guys compared to, you know, some of the guards that you see today? I think the biggest difference is the shooting. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. there's also a big mental part of it, but you know, the amount of time that these guys put in the gym in the off season, like if I put that much time in the gym in the off season, you know, I probably will be averaging maybe 50 to 55 games a season. And, yeah. and that's what you see, you know, guys playing somewhere from 50 to 60 games during the season because their career is year round. Right. Their career is year round. So they're doing a lot, a lot of training. But, you know, the shooting is a big difference. I think, you know, the overall, I'll still take our our generation over this year, this generation, just because of the mental part and the, the mental toughness and stuff that we had to deal with, right. you know, back then as NBA players. But there's nothing against those guys. I mean, they have taken the game to a, a great level, Lillard. Curry, Clay, all those guys, man. I mean, the shooting. I mean, you can't even play basketball anymore if you can't shoot the ball. Right. So you, you won't touch a court. I mean, when you go in the gym, okay, we don't care if you jump. We don't care if you run. Right? We just want you to stand there. And I want to see you make, out of 100 shots, I want to see you make 80 to 85 of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, in the NFL, you, can, you don't have to have a lot of talent. But if you go run 40-yard dash in 4.2 seconds, four, they, oh, we got to have this guy on the team just because he ran that 40-yard dash that fast. So that's how it is in the NBA. You know, it's a lot of the, the, the you know, shooting. You got to have shooting in today's age. Okay, so actually uh, two, two questions that popped up from that because I'm interested now. How do you think your game would have looked today if, if, you were, if you were playing at your prime in, in, in 2023, how, how do you think your game would look playing? I think my game would be the same. Um, and I think I would probably average more points just because there was no there. You know, when we played and I hate to say when we played, but, you know, you shot the three pointer when, you know, you was open or, right. you know, the, the rhythm of the game got you that, you know, got you to that point and you're like, okay, I'm shooting this. I made a couple or something like that. But, you know, it was more, you get the ball to the specialists, the guys that shoot the three pointers. Now, I mean, everybody's shooting three pointers. I'm like, you know, and there's no repercussions. Right. So, you know, and let me go out in the game back then and shoot about four or five three pointers and miss all four or five of them. Most likely that's my, that's my night for the day. You know, it's over, you know, Andre had a bad game, but, you know, in, in this generation, you know, you got forwards and centers shooting seven and eight, eight three-pointers a game, and they're not making them at a high clip. 
and and there's no repercussions for it. So a guy missed five or six three pointers, coach not gonna take him out. He's gonna say keep shooting. Right. They keep shooting. They have because that's what they preach. The more three pointers that you can shoot, the more opportunity we have to win the game. Even a, if even if you miss them. It's a numbers game now, right? It's a math yeah. problem versus yeah. yeah. Um, look, I, I actually am curious about another part of this too, now that you mentioned it, you know, you're obviously on the coaching side of things now, um, and, and you've transitioned into coaching recently, but you mentioned that the, the off season is now like another season for these guys training wise, and they're only playing 55, 60 games. You're a guy who barely missed any games in, in your amount of time playing a long amount of time playing. How is that mentally? adjusting to coaching players that you know you know it's it's a different generation now you have to approach coaching a little bit differently than you know how you may have been coached when you were younger it's it's hard to accept you know because to me basketball is a commitment thing Mm -hmm. and you know i had no other extracurricular activities going on that would enter that would really interfere with basketball and again like i say when i played you know if you had anything extracurricular going on, it was like you're not 100% committed. Right. And and now you see, you know, guys, I mean, working out all through the summer. And, and I mean, let's get one thing, one thing straight. I mean, this lifestyle, that lifestyle is not normal. Mm-hmm. You know, you're playing basketball, you're flying to different cities, you're eating in the middle of the night, you're partying, you know, you're doing, you're trying to get everything in and go out there and be productive. And it's very hard to manage if you don't have your priorities straight. So, you know, just just the commitment, that's that's what I would like to see more out of the players, more commitment, more competitiveness. And it's it's, it's easy to wake up and say, you know what? I'm not feeling it today. But in order to be on that level, on the NBA level, and all those guys are superstars, the reason why you separate yourself is because you're competitive and you want to compete. So why would you throw all that away? And, and you know what? Uh, I'm only going to play 50, 55 games or, you know, uh, something's going on at home right now. Well, nobody cares about that. Well, now in this new generation, you got the mental health, you got, you got, you know, small injuries that that guys like uh, I'm not 100 percent I'm not feeling it today and I, I think that part of it is selfish and it, at some point it hurts the game so you know it, that that part of it really needs to be corrected how many times uh in your career did you play hurt a lot Countless, I mean right? I mean the hurt not just physically I mean all these guys minds are hurting so you know you you hurt physically and you hurt mentally. And sometimes it's more mental where you, you're beating yourself up or over minutes or, you know, right. are they going to, are they, am I going to get this contract? It's, uh, you know, family issues, all the off court activities. That's the mental part of it. And the, the guys that survive figure out how to separate those things and manage it and be able to go on. I mean, 50, 55 games is nothing. You know, it's nothing. And those guys don't practice anymore. So, you right. know, you have to be fully committed and you want to be out there and be, you know, relied upon. And, and that's very important for success, you know, to be able to have the coach trust you 
you know, to the point where, you know, oh, okay, I can look down at the bench and say, you know what, I'm going to put this guy in the game because I trust him. Right. What What made you, because I know you're such a fierce competitor, you're a guy that's going to commit to anything 100%. What made you get into coaching? Um, I got in coaching, got into the coaching part, you know, almost kind of accidentally, but, you know, just, just, it's all I know. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much all I know. Like I said, you know, a hundred percent of my time was invested in two things, family and basketball. Right. So, you know, I have a couple other hobbies, but you know, those never got into the way of basketball. So I felt like it was an obligation to, to give back and, and share the things that I learned from the time that I was growing up and watching the, the Magic Johnsons play the Larry Birds and, you know, the Fat Leavers and, all, and the Alex Englishes and the Michael Jordans, you know, that's that was how we grew up. So the need to give back, the want to give back, and, and, and I felt like it's an obligation. So, you know, it, it's something that I, I care about and, you know, I'm learning as I go. Of course, of course. You, uh, you, this season, you got to coach two guys who are on the Nuggets right now: Colin Gillespie, Jack White. Um, they, 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 they've won a ring, technically. Um, I guess how has it been seeing those guys develop, and then now seeing them with the Nuggets being able to to celebrate with the parade and whatnot? Well, you know what, man, it was it was it was good to see those young guys. Number one, be around that environment mm-hmm. because they're learning work ethic. They're learning what it be, takes to become a pro. Um, they're, they're developing a, a championship mentality. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, and I mean, like I said, I, I never made it that far. So these guys can say, you know, when they grew up and look at their kids, you know, hey, we had a parade. We won a championship. Here's my championship ring. And, you know, those three guys are along Peyton Watson, Jack White, Colin. I didn't, I didn't really get a chance to see Colin this year because he, he had broke his leg before we even started. So I dealt with uh, Peyton and Jack a lot. But, you know, for those guys, I mean, you know, that was big for them. That was big for them. And and it's a big summer for them. You know, you don't go into the summer to relax when you're young. You're going into the summer to say, you know, Work. how am I going to get better? Mm-hmm. How I'm going to get a lot of shots up. I'm going to lift my weights. And I'm going to go into camp and make a statement and show the coach you know what? I'm going to be on the court. I don't want to be in the G. I want to be on the NBA floor playing and contributing on the NBA level like a, a Christian Braun. Right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So, you know, it, it's good for those guys. I'm happy for them. A lot of people are excited about Peyton Watson. I, I speak to a lot of Nuggets fans, and a lot of Nuggets media. They're excited for what kind of step he can take. What did you see from him this year that, that you know, can he potentially get take that next step into the rotation next year? You know what? I mean, Peyton, I mean, he's a long kid. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's very tall. He's very athletic. He's fast. And, you know, he did one year at UCLA, so it's going to take some time. But, I mean, he checks the most important box. Mm-hmm. The most important boxes, he plays hard. And I would give him that. I can nitpick and pick him out, pick him down and, and break him down. But, you know, all, all a coach and all another player appear wants to see that, you know what, when this kid, he, he might he might do some, make some mistakes and this and that, but he plays hard. Mm-hmm. He plays hard. So that's what I was excited about working with him. I didn't have to say, hey, man, you need to play hard. I never right. had to say that. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Him and Jack, those guys came out and competed and they wanted it. And 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 that's what I liked about those two guys. So you're saying Nuggets fans should be excited next season for 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 that guy to get some playing time. I mean, basically, like Peyton and Jack White, you know, both of those guys have a competitive mean streak like the Christian Braun kid that was drafted. Right. You know what I'm saying? Those guys are gonna get out and play hard. The thing about Christian Braun is you don't see a lot of mistakes that he's making out there, you know, on the defensive end. Right. You know, he might make a couple little mistakes, but the coach trusts him. Mm-hmm. The reason why he trusts him is because a kid doesn't make a lot of mistakes and he plays hard. So I was happy that the guys that I had to deal with, Peyton and Jack, got a chance to see a youngster that 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 their age get out there and contribute on a championship team. Is uh is the eventual goal for you to to end up coaching in the NBA? Is that to to move up, or is this just something that you're you're experimenting and trying with? Well, I haven't I haven't set any goals yet. Okay. You know, it's it's, right. it's it's one day at a time. You know, because you you never know what can happen. You know, what I'm saying my thing is to keep my options open, um, stay in the moment. You know, I. At first, I was skeptical about the G League, and but it was an opportunity to get some coaching experience. Right. The G League is very competitive. A lot of good players, a lot of good players that have dreams of playing on that next level. But for, for some way and form, you know, the NBA got guaranteed contracts. You know? <laughs> so, so that's the politics, the business part of it. But, you know, uh, my first year was a lot of ups and downs, but I enjoyed being out there, communicating with the players, uh, meeting other people that are trying to work their way through, you know, the basketball world and figure it out. So, you know, I have fun. I have fun and I was I was learning. Now, I, I, I needed to ask this because I wasn't exactly sure if it lined up, but Michael Malone coached Sacramento the same year you were in Sacramento, but I'm not sure if you guys were if you were being coached by him at the same time, is that true? Were you being coached? You know what? I had, you know, um, I think I got traded to Sacramento from Washington, I think like February 2014 or 2014 or 15. I want to say 15. So I was only there a couple months and the coach there at the time was George Carl. Right. Okay. George Carl was there. I think Malone was right before him. I believe I'm not sure either Malone or or Corbin. I'm not sure, but it, I was only there for like February, March, and April. Have you did, have you guys had a chance to to interact or or talk by any chance? Um, we've just you know I've been to a couple about two or three training camps with the Nuggets just just because they have training camp here in uh, San Diego where I'm at. So right, you know I was able to go and you know had some words with him, spoke with him, and, you know, just con- congra- congratulate him on, you know, his success as a coach. And, you know, at the same time, I'm I'm watching him. I'm learning, you right. know, how he carries himself as a coach, how he interacts with the players, um, when to push him, when not to push him, you know, practice etiquette, coaching etiquette, all those things, you know, I'm, I'm not just being a student of the game anymore on that. I'm, I'm being a student from coaches now. You know what I'm saying? Paying attention more to the coaches than I did the players. Right. Well, I mean, look, look at, at the, at the beginning, you said you guys never made it out of the first round with Denver, but 
for me, for people who watch you guys, those Nuggets teams laid the foundation for some really, really fun basketball. You, Melo, Kmart, JR, like it, it was really, really entertaining basketball, man. It was high level stuff. You guys were high octane offensively. Uh, yeah. And it really paved the way. Even even that second stint with you guys and and Iguodala and Ty Lawson and all those guys. Do yeah. you do you feel any type of uh, emotional connection to that parade and seeing the the city of Denver, you know, be embracing the moment and all that stuff, and and the coach talking the way he is? Do you feel any connection, r regardless of how things kind of shook out with you in your own career? Honestly, I don't. Okay. Um, I'm very happy for the franchise. Um, you know, this is where I played my most years. You know, I think I played six and a half years with the Nuggets and, you know, the history of the franchise. And, you know, that's almost a 10-year gap Yeah. from when I played to when they won the championship, you know, the last time I played for the Nuggets. And I'm just appreciative of, of the opportunity you know, given to me to to represent the Nuggets and the, the Grand Rapids gold and entrusting to me trying to build character and and uh, teach these young guys how to be professional basketball players, you know, and, and that's the main thing. So, you know, it's kind of a, a disconnect, but I am still happy for the organization and, and, and for the players because it is very, very hard and everything has to click a certain way for a team to win a championship right. and you know kudos to the management tim Connolly, who was there previously calvin booth who's taken over and just the leadership of the Cronky family that that that's been a one and and all about committed to to winning a championship and they got it done right yeah okay so i i, I wanted to spend some time just doing some quick hitter questions about your career just to see you know, you can answer them as fast or as long as you want. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, Mello, Carmelo, just recently retired. You were there for his rookie season in Denver. Um, I, I mean, just seeing him retiring and seeing, you know, being there for almost all of his journey, really, seeing at the beginning and now now at the end, how does that feel for you, seeing him retire? Man, I was, I was, I was happy to see him, you know, walk away. And he's given so much to the game, you know what I'm saying? You know, if it wasn't for LeBron, you might be saying that Carmelo was probably the best in that class and kind of helped carry carry the NBA for a little bit. But, I mean, for him to come in with LeBron and, and do the things that he did, he was a great teammate for me. You know, he made my job easier because he was a scorer. <laughs> All I had to do was pass him the ball when he cherry-picked out on fast break, you know. so. <laughs> but, um, you know, man, super cool dude, man, and – his work ethic is unreal, you know, and we've just had a good group of guys, man. I, I, I wish, you know, we could have won a championship, but, you know, we were young, man. We were young and we were very talented. But, I mean, you're looking at, you know, the first 10 years of my career. I mean, nobody wasn't going to win the championship because it was Lakers and San Antonio. Yeah. I'm yeah. saying so they was eating up the championships, but we were I was just happy to be on the floor with a guy like Carmelo, you know, because you know, you knew you had a chance when he was out there. He was part of your decision to sign with Denver, right? He was the, the reason why I signed in Denver. You know what I'm saying? I, I I was a free agent, um restricted free agent with the Clippers, and you know, um, you know, I paid attention to the draft and 
you know, I'm like, okay, uh, oh, the Nuggets got Carmelo Anthony. And it, was, <laughs> it pretty much came down between the Denver Nuggets and the Utah Jazz. So I went with the, you know, okay, I want to play with a, uh, a young budding superstar because he had just won a championship versus, you know, maybe I, I mean, go, I had an opportunity to go to Utah right. and, and, and play under Jerry Sloan. And that would have been a dream come true. I just, it was either or. So I think it turned out for the best. It turned out for the best. Do you think uh, Denver should retire Carmelo's jersey? Because him and Jokic wear the same number, 15, 15. Do, do you think they should they should retire Carmelo's jersey? Yeah, I think so. I mean, what he did for the city, what he did for the franchise. I mean, you got the greats that have come through there. Matumbo, yep. Fat Lever, Alex English. I mean, is the list goes on and on, and it's not just scores. It's guys that have contributed and 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 put their bodies on the line for the Denver organization, and you know, for for the Nuggets to acknowledge Carmelo. I mean, he was one of the the biggest reasons why you know the organization started to turn around and and finally got some respect. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, what I mean, yeah. to go from a team that was last in the league to making the playoffs the next year. You know, I mean, it was tremendous. So, yeah, he definitely has to put his jersey. You know, they, they can put two 15s up there. It's okay. I agree. And and there's there's other teams that have done that, by the way. The Knicks have two, I think, two different numbers, but, like, the same number retired. It's possible. Like, th that that is something that a franchise can do, retiring two jerseys, same number. Um, mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier that you were coached by George Carl. Different instances. Um, he has been, you know, uh, there's, there's been like different moods with George Carl. A lot of people either, you either hate him or you love him. How was your experience being coached by a guy like George Carl? Um, George is a, is a great basketball mind, you right. know, so I had an understanding about him before I even got to the NBA because he was, he was close with my college coach, Rick Majerus. Gotcha. And so I kind of knew his personality a little bit. I actually just got off the phone with his son, Kobe, right. uh, like about 30 minutes ago before we even got on this uh, on this Zoom. But, you know, um, you know, we had our ups and downs. We had our ups and downs with George. We had, you know, some great teams. Sometimes it felt kind of overworked. But George was fully committed to, to winning, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, you don't – you don't have to like his teaching. I mean, you don't have to like, you know, certain things. He, he had to do a job. George Carr had to do a job. And he didn't care about, you know, feelings getting in the way because he was about winning. Right. And if you put your feelings into the business of basketball as far as, you know, getting upset because of this or because of that or maybe the mind games and stuff like that, you just can't allow those things to affect you. And, and and sometimes it did affect us because we was we were young, but you know, he had a job to do. So I respect that. You know, early on I was like, oh, you know, but <laughs> you know, I love George Carl, man. He's 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 a guy that went into the Hall of Fame. So yep. you know, he's been around a long time and and I and I've been following him ever since I was little. So I, I definitely have a ton of respect for him. 
So I, I heard on a, on a podcast that the LeBron James story, the, the, the story about you telling him to stick to college, go to college, get yourself an education. Uh, and instead, obviously, he, he doesn't go to college. He, he goes straight to the NBA, gets drafted number one overall. 20 years later, he's going to be uh, one of the oldest NBA players ever at some point, you know, joining you, joining you as, as one of the players to be one of the oldest players playing in the NBA. How does... How does that feel knowing full circle? Like, hey, you know, 20 years ago, you were there telling the guy to skip college or not, go to college. And, and, and for me, man, it's, it was like, again, it was a blessing mm -hmm. to play in the NBA. To me, that experience playing in the NBA was a dream. It wasn't real. Nothing that I experienced in the NBA, I, I don't, it wasn't real to me. I lived out a dream. And, you know, early on back, back then, it, before LeBron came out and I, when I met him when he was a junior in high school, I didn't know. I didn't know. I was right there in Cleveland. I didn't know. I didn't know who LeBron James was because I was dreaming. I was in the dream. I was playing in the NBA. I had time to be coming out of my dream to be worried about a junior in high school. You right. know what I'm saying? So, you know, um, the dream became a reality, you know, when, when I did see him and, and said those words to him and and then my agent was oh, you might as well just ask for a trade. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's when the dream disappeared. Right. <laughs> because I could have possibly won some championships playing with LeBron, but, you know, it was, it was almost like a, a business move. Right. You know, a business that I had no clue about. You know what I'm saying? So I, I let other people kind of influence my decision to move on from Cleveland, but you know, I lived a dream. That's neither here or there, man. I lived a dream. I got the most out of my body. I got a chance to play against the greatest players in the world, you know, and, and, and it was a blessing. You pioneered the quarterback pass, which is the full court pass, you know, all the way top. You know, there's a big man ceiling in the post down low or a lob pass, whatever. Uh, where did you get that from? Did you did you just hey is it just intuition or did you pick that up from another player? I think um, if you talk to a lot of guys from my generation and you ask them who their favorite players that were growing up, you hear Magic Johnson, you hear Larry, you hear Larry Bird, you hear Michael Jordan, you hear Scottie Pippen, you hear all I mean Reggie Miller. All the greats, Mark Jackson to me, you know, Gary Payton. When you think of those guys and, and why the game flourished when we came in, because we were all students of the game. Right. And all those guys that played basketball back then, at least for me, when I watched guys play basketball back then, to me, they were all unselfish. They all played team basketball. They all kept the game simple. And the ball just always found the superstar's hands. The teammates, the players knew who the superstars was and they deferred and it was all about respect and and playing the game the right way. And and I think that's why our generation flourished, not just talent wise, but mentally and physically toughness because of what we saw and what we copied. Mm -hmm. Now you move forward. Now this new generation is. Is creating their own dialogue and their own basketball game which is great which is great you know and and there's still some students of the game out there but these youngsters are creating their own narrative when it comes to that basketball right 
you uh you've you've had a lot of career highlights i mean you go on youtube you search up andre miller highlights and there's there's tons man everywhere um whether it be the passing the game winners there's the 52 point game against the mavs what's your own personal favorite career moment (sighs) might be tough to make it one you're right my personal career moment is probably like the draft process. Really? Just the process of going through the draft. I mean, all the other stuff was a dream, playing against the greatest players in the world, but how much of it was a big deal? Like, it, it, it didn't become a big deal till I actually stepped on the court. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the process leading up to it, I think that was probably you know, the most important and most memorable thing to to go to different cities, visit teams, do these interviews. Like, I I don't even know if it was a job interview. It was like maybe like a psychological interview to see if you got any sense. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you got any basketball sense? Are you normal? You know, you know, just a a fill out process. So that whole that whole process going through the draft, I think, was the the biggest moment for me. What would be a piece? I mean, the draft is coming up next week. What would be a, a piece of advice you would give to someone going through that process right now? Enjoy it, stay in the moment. Um, you know, because you know a lot of these youngsters. You know, I don't know why guys turn down workouts. Right. Like I'm only going to do this workout and I'm only going to do that workout. And, and and now the NBA workouts have become like the NFL, like guys not going to go to the combine. Oh, we'll just uh, host the individual workout, like a pro day, mm-hmm. like how they do for football. So, you know, I, I like to see those guys get in, get as many workouts and get evaluated by as many people as they can, because, you know, it, it helps spread the spread the game the more people you can find out that can play the game and you know give guys a, another opportunity or, or a chance to go out there and prove themselves yeah i mean you'll find some hidden gems like a joker you'll right. find some hidden gems like a joker all the way in a different country and somebody make a call oh it's this big kid over here oh next thing you know he's in the draft so i mean it, it's, it's global it's global absolutely um, so I, I wanted to bring up, bring up a specific moment. You hit the game winner against the Warriors 2013 or 2014 playoffs. I can't remember exactly what it was. I believe it was 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was around the same time that they started to climb up the ranks. Mm-hmm. Did you guys see that when you were playing them? Did you see that, that they, hey, they might be next up? Well, you know, I felt, you know, if, if we look back at that series, Mm-hmm. Um, Gallinari had tore ACL right before the playoffs started. Yeah, and and out of all the teams, you know, I played on some good teams. The other Nuggets teams were Carmelo and Nene and Kenyon. Those teams were really good, but you know, you got Lakers in San Antonio. But that team where we won fifty seven games, and you know, we had a good good roster. We had a great roster, and I, that was one of the times that I felt, you know what. If we're healthy, we can make it to the Western Conference Finals, and then Gallinari gets help get hurt right before the playoffs. And right. um, once we stepped on that court against the Warriors, I mean, Draymond Green wasn't even playing, and then he got his opportunity when David Lee, I believe, hurt his hip, 
And that's when I knew when Draymond Green stepped on the court and I saw how the ball was going in the basket a little bit different. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the way that ball was going through the basket when Curry and Klay Thompson, the way they was moving, yeah. It wasn't it was it was something different. It was it wasn't normal. It was like something was in the air and I was almost like, you know what? I got a couple years left because uh <laughs> this is about to get bad. This is about to get real bad and you know, it's something in the sky that's making this ball go through the through the rim like that. So, I saw it coming. I saw it coming. It wasn't normal that a guy that's my size, not strong, but when I tell you, when that ball leaves his fingers, you know, he, he could probably shoot the ball from my house into a basket somewhere. And I and I and I was there. You know what? I saw it, you know, so, you know, great, great player. And I'm just happy to see the success of those guys and what they've done uh, for the league and for themselves and the NBA. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want you to know, man, you've become a uh, uh, uh of myth, if you will, a lore in the NBA conversations in the sense that every time someone is playing and pick up, uh, you know, you see someone in runs or whatever, they'll be like, oh, he, he kind of plays like Andre Miller. This guy, he kind of plays like Andre Miller. It, 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 you have left a lasting legacy. No question on the game of basketball, you have left that there, at least for my generation. You know, we, we grew up watching you guys, right? Like how you said you watched Magic and you watched Isaiah. For us, it was it was you guys that we were watching, and and you left a lasting legacy. Does that mean anything for you? It does. It does for for all the the ex basketball players, high school, college basketball players that that go on to to be all stars in the YMCA league, and yeah. you know the thirty five and forty year old league. <laughs> You catch the guy walking through the, the Walmart or a grocery store. Oh, oh, man, I used to pattern my game, man. You know, you turn your butt in the post game. And, I, man, because it's it's relatable. Yeah. It's relatable. Guys that you look at and you're like, man, how, how can he do that? Because I could do the same thing. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's just, you know, so it's, it's I mean, it's always going to be a kid's game. And that's the way that I kept it. I played the game the exact way that I saw it growing up. You know what I'm saying? I put a little twist in it by adding stuff to my game to get me through the NBA. But everything that I did was based on, you know, taking something from every player that I liked. or it, I didn't even have to like him. I might have saw Mark Aguirre, the way he dribbled and shoot a free throw or something more. Right. You know, Patrick Ewing, how he shoot his fadeaway. I'm not a sinner. Right. You know what I'm saying? Or... I might have saw how Larry Bird did a pass, and you know, and everything with Magic Johnson was like everything that he did in my eyes was magical. It was it was nothing that he couldn't do. Like, okay, how did he do that? So, mm -hmm. my game is relatable to everybody out there that just goes out there and plays basketball and try to play it the right way. I love it, man. I love it, um, Andre. Man, wishing you nothing but success. Uh, whether it be coaching, whether it be doing whatever, skating. I know you're a big skater. Yeah, uh, yeah so w wishing you nothing but success, man. Thank you so much for. Thank you very much for having me. Follow House at Just S. Barahini on all socials and at The Lauren Gun on Twitter. The Objective Basketball Podcast, delivering the NBA.